Welcome to the latest episode of the Catalyst Health, Wellness, and Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Bradford Cooper, and today's episode will take us inside the brain, covering handwriting to headaches, brain health, and much more. Our guest is none other than Dr. Dina Kouravia, a board-certified neurologist and headache specialist at the Yale School of Medicine, who is also a specialist in complementary medicine. She speaks regularly around the country and captured our interest after being quoted in multiple national publications, including the Wall Street Journal, U.S. News, and the Huffington Post. Our conversation today is quite fascinating as we take a deep dive in the various treatments for headaches that influence so many people, but we don't stop there. We also discuss how journaling can positively influence learning and memory, whether there's a value in those Sudoku puzzles and much, much more. If you are looking to pursue your health and wellness coach certification before the national board requirements change, our August training will be your last chance. Now we've been saying July, but the MBHWC just extended one of the requirements that will now allow our August attendees to comfortably meet that new timeline that they've set up. If you have questions, you're, you're saying, wait, what? What's this national board? Or yes, I've been thinking about doing that. I need, just reach out to us. Happy to set up some time. Won't go into it now. Our email is results at catalystcoachinginstitute.com and we can set up some time to talk through your specific situation. Or feel free, visit our website for initial coaching resources catalystcoachinginstitute.com and you can now pop over to the YouTube coaching channel which is literally youtube.com slash coaching channel and find a growing library of freely available video resources as well. Now it's time to join Dr. Dina Coravia as she discusses headaches and brain health on the latest episode of the Catalyst Health, Wellness and Performance Coaching Podcast. Well Dr. Coravia, it's so good to have you join us today. Thanks for making time in, in the midst of your crazy schedule. Thank you so much for having me Dr. Cooper. So a lot to unpack here today with you bring so much to the table in terms of the insights for this group. Maybe a good place to start would be provide, just give us the, the basic lay terms, some of the key components of the brain, the, the functions of those pieces. Just give us that baseline so we have something heading into the conversation. Absolutely. So I have to start off by saying that the brain is extremely complex the brain is responsible for so many different functions throughout the body. It's responsible for producing thoughts. It's responsible for storing memories. It's responsible for us speaking right now, for mm. producing speech. And it's responsible for every movement that we perform, from picking up your cup of coffee to riding a bike outside during quarantine. Um in addition to all of these important things that the brain does for us, it is also responsible for so many important organs in the body. It's responsible for breathing. It's responsible for making your heart function. It's responsible for your stomach and for you know that the gut brain connection that more research has is being done right now. And for me personally, I am a headache specialist um, and a neurologist. The brain is also also responsible for producing pain specifically. Okay. And people have just perked up and they're thinking, oh, wow, this is going to be a good one. How, a little background though, how did you decide to make this your life's work? Were there some, some catalysts in your life? Was there a story that led you to saying, this is what I want to do? So I always knew that I wanted to help people for sure, but I didn't always know that I wanted to work with the brain. 
Um, I think that that developed over time just after learning kind of the complexities of the brain and having had migraine myself um, in my lifetime, it was, it's a condition that I can definitely relate to, mm. you know, neurology in general is an extremely interesting field because way before my time, the mantra was diagnose and adios. The reason for that is because neurologists, right, neurologists really couldn't do much to help patients back in the day. They would be able to diagnose a condition, but there were very limited treatment options available. Hmm. So, now that has completely changed. There's a completely new era for neurology and there are so many major treatments now for migraine, for multiple sclerosis, for Alzheimer's disease, for Parkinson's. And so, so many things have developed in such a short period of time that just makes it incredibly interesting. It's a treatable field right now. It's no longer diagnose and adios. That, that, that's very fascinating. Our son actually thinks he he's taking his MCATs here in the next month, and he's thinking neurology may be toward the top of the list. So this is has got my attention even more than I thought it would. So very good. Uh, so there's been a, a growing interest in, in brain health, obviously, in recent years. Some of that, the prevalence of Alzheimer's, but it, it goes a lot further than that. Can you share some of the keys you've discovered to optimizing the health of our brains over the last several years? Absolutely. So there's two major things that we can all do, I think, to optimize brain health. There is prevention and then there's managing. So prevention is extremely important, especially while we are all on this lockdown in the middle of this pandemic. Mm. Prevention, prevention, prevention. So physical exercise, aerobic exercise is extremely helpful for keeping up brain health. You know, just 30 minutes of aerobic exercise a day, getting your heart rate up and, and really getting the blood pumping can be extremely helpful. Uh, avoiding, avoiding tobacco, using alcohol, illicit drugs are certainly important um, in trying to optimize your brain health. Um, sleep. Sleep is mm. such an important thing right now, right? When now our work is kind of leaking into our home life, as many of us are now working from home, um, that can certainly disrupt sleep. So sleep is so important to provide downtime to grow, repair, and reset the brain. And so, you know, for adults, many studies have shown that around seven to nine hours is usually optimal. And for children, they need much more. They need much more sleep. So there are different guidelines, but sleep is so important. Another kind of preventive strategy is managing stress. Um, you know, I think that everyone is kind of going through a stressful time right now. And as stress goes up, cortisol levels go up. Cortisol is thought to be toxic to brain cells. And so we have to engage in avenues to treat stress, such as meditation, you know, that's been shown to lower stress levels. Um, and so, you know, kind of engaging in those activities can certainly help to prevent um, some things from happening to the brain, to optimize brain health. So as I'm listening to you describe this, is it everything? I, I love this because our main four, we talk about the cornerstones of health and wellness being move, fuel, 
rest, and connect. And you've basically said three of those. We're not just talking physically, Brad. This is helping your brain as well. You 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 brought the stress component into that. Would stress be, I don't want to overstate this, but would stress be a, a symptom of brain, it's not brain injury, but brain, just something, you know, you're not treating your brain right when your stress levels come up. Is that an accurate A equals B? Absolutely. 100%. So underlying brain disorders, you know, such as migraine, for example, Mm -hmm. can result in stress. But stress and those high levels of cortisol that we can produce from stress can be toxic to our brains. So it's a toxic cycle to bring that stress into life because that can result in poor brain health as well as the other way where you know underlying brain disorders can produce increased stress as well. And this is in the absence of headaches. So we're, this is not just for the person that's struggling with migraines or or has stress headaches or uh, you know right. suboccipital uh, muscular headaches at the end of the day. This is in general. So general population, more stress is not healthy for your brain. Absolutely. Hmm. That is absolutely true for absolutely everyone, whether whether you have any, t- you know, unrelated to any type of underlying neurological diagnosis, whether you have one or not, stress is toxic to the brain. All right, let's let's take a slight side turn here on on brain exercise, if you will. There's a lot of apps out there and things you theoretically can do. I've read that there's very little evidence they actually do help. Any guidance on crosswords and sudokus and brushing your teeth with the opposite hand and eating food with the you know fork in the other hand and and these kinds of things. Obviously, those do help create new neural pathways, but are they actually adding to the health or are they just slightly expanding the capacity? They are likely just expanding the capacity, but they're not overall adding much. Mm. There's actually very, there's not enough evidence to say that, you know, doing a crossword puzzle a day is going to prevent your memory from deteriorating over time or, or using your left hand to brush the opposite hand to brush your teeth. So it's, it's, there's just not enough evidence out there to say that those things are truly productive. It's really all about you know, prevention, as we discussed, and really managing existing medical conditions also. You know, a lot of folks in the United States have high cholesterol, diabetes, Mm -hmm. thyroid conditions, high blood pressure. Managing those things can certainly help to prevent the development of some type of memory disorder down the line or other brain conditions. You've just provided a huge amount of motivation for a lot of people. I I think folks naturally think, well, you know, I have high cholesterol, but that just runs in the family or, you know, I'm carrying a little extra weight, but eh, eh, it's just the way it is. But if you start telling people, well, this also influences your potential, there's no guarantees and you're not safe if you're healthy, but it improves your likelihood of not having those as early in life or at all. That's big. So am I... Restating that accurately? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's so important to highlight that genetics does play a role. Absolutely. Things that there are things that many of us just can't control, but, you know, you know, doing these things to controlling those other medical conditions you may have, they may play a big role in cutting down 
um, issues with the brain and improving brain health. We had Dr. Kenneth Pelletier on here oh, probably six months ago talking about epigenetics. And it's a fascinating topic that I wasn't aware of prior to connecting with him. So yes, absolutely. You, you, you've got the genetics, but you can turn on, turn off uh, with, in, in some cases, it, it's not a, mm-hmm. it's not a given. All right. So the reason I originally reached out to you, you really caught my attention. You were quoted in the Wall Street Journal about the connection between handwritten notes or journaling and the opportunity to fire up the hippocampus. Can you talk us through that? You know, Harvey McKay talked years ago about the power of the pen as people are doing more typing, but he was talking about it from a business sense that the handwritten note means more to other people than it used to. But you're talking about there's actually some benefits to doing that. Can you talk us through that a little bit? Absolutely. So it's been shown that the memory typically works better with writing things down. We are certainly firing up certain areas of the brain, like the hippocampus, which is responsible for memory and recall when we are writing things down. You know, a lot of recommendations have been made out there about diary keeping, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's been shown that Diary keeping, you know, very basic things like, you know, even if it's a food log or just how you're <laughs> feeling every day or, you know, any of those types of things, they have the capability to improve memory recall and mm. increase critical thinking where th- some of those, those really important things are not getting activated with smart devices. So when we're on our iPads or our iPhones, we are kind of talk sometimes toggling between apps, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're, you know, maybe writing something down in a diary, doing our to-do list, and then let's check in on Instagram and see what someone has just posted. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. We're toggling between multiple different things. And smart devices in general have been shown to decrease attention and concentration and increase dopamine within the brain. Now, the importance of that is dopamine is one of the main neurotransmitters in addiction. So it's interesting to think that are we activating some type of addiction pathway by using our smart devices more frequently? There needs to be more studies on it. Um, There's not enough evidence on that yet, but dopamine specifically, that addiction neurotransmitter has kind of been shown to go up with smart devices. So that's very interesting. It is interesting. And it just pops in my mind, you think of, you know, they talk about entry-level drugs. You start with this one, and that can lead to this one. Uh, is there any research to date showing the more of A, being the, the smart devices, the increased use of alcohol or drugs or those kinds of things? Or is that more hypothesis at this point? I, that That's more hypothesis at this point. It would be really interesting to study. Those. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Interesting. Uh, so, okay, you said writing hand, this is handwriting. So if I'm typing a journal, so if I keep an electronic journal, that's different than if I literally have my journal, I grab my pen, I sit down and I write. And it's because when I'm typing, I'll go back and forth. Or even if I were to devote, let's say 30 minutes sitting there typing specifically, not touching Instagram, not grabbing my phone, still Mm -hmm. the handwritten has a, a, a bigger impact on the hippocampus and the way the brain functions. Yes, absolutely. That is so interesting. Yeah. Is, is that new research? I, I've, I'm not familiar with that. That's really, I mean, that's a driver. That sounds fantastic. Right. We can all do that. 
Right, right. Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, the research has been out there for quite some time, but now there's more and more research within the past few years on that. So I'm really excited to see what ends up happening. Mm. You know, the pediatric population, the kids are actually the, probably the good mm. population to study for this see how they're using screens as children and then measure that over time. Many pediatric folks have already done this. The general recommendation by the, um, you know, the National Pediatric Society is one hour of screen time per day for the older children. So, you know, a lot of us try to, our pediatricians tell us that and we try to implement that in our children. So I'm, I'm now flipping to you know, folks that are used to saying, okay, I'm going to exercise for 30 minutes or 60 minutes a day saying, oh, I'm going to start journaling five minutes. Have we seen any, is there a hurdle? Is it, it needs to be five minutes. It needs to be 20 minutes or is that yet to be determined? That's yet to be determined. There's no specific time recommendation, but you know, the things that we typically do on the computer, if we can convert some of that to journals or even, you know, you know, things like when we're logging our exercise or our food, you know, turning that into a written journal is very helpful. So funny. Now nobody can make fun of me anymore. I I still use a handwritten little day timer and I keep my triathlon training (laughs) journal in a handwritten format too. And people are like, what are you doing? It's already on Strava or it's already, okay, well, we we listen to this interview folks. Uh, All right. Let's get into headaches because I know people are sitting here going, get to the headache piece. We need to hear this. Uh, So whether people get them occasionally or they battle with the migraine stuff, can you talk us through some of the low hanging self-treatment fruit that may help people that Mm -hmm. haven't heard it all before? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to highlight how common headache is Mm. affects around 40 million people within the United States are having around less than 15 headache days a month. And around 4 million people have 15 or more headache days a month. They have chronic migraine. So it's extremely common. I think it's really important to say here, we've just spoken about screens, right? And using, uh, having screen time, you know, screens are a trigger for a lot of people Mm. with migraine. Folks, especially now who are on the screen for hours at a time, 12 hours a day, they're having a big uptake in headaches. You know, there's, there's a lot of medical effects uh, medical conditions that can happen as a result of increased screen time. And for folks with migraine, that's a huge issue. Hmm. Um, as far as, you know, managing headaches go, you know, migraine is the most common headache disorder in the United States. And most folks start out with some types of lifestyle changes, like we were talking about, kind of making sure to sleep enough every, every night, reduce stressors, looking for specific things that may trigger their headaches, like foods or alcohol, for example. And then they're really wanting to consult with a a physician, you know, whoever manages headache to talk about how frequent the headaches actually are by keeping a headache diary and then discuss, you know, the appropriate treatments. I can remember my background. I was a physical therapist for 25 years and I remember early in my career, I started getting these headaches every afternoon and mm-hmm. I could, I, I, I go to the, I went to the extreme. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've got a tumor or something. And what I discovered was I moved into a, a management role. So I was sitting at my desk more and I, my, I was chin was jutted out. Suboccipitals were compressed. And as soon as I fixed oh. posture, I was good to go. Yeah. Like I didn't have any more issues. As soon as I just was like, 
dude, seriously, tuck your chin in, sit upright, right. and boom, they're gone. How often, because people are seeing you after they've tried everything. They've they've tried Dr. Yeah. Google, they've gone to their family physicians, et cetera. Yes. How many, just ballpark, I'm just curious, how many times do one visit and and you identify something like that or a food that maybe they hadn't thought about before or, you know, let's cut down the screen time after 7 p.m. And is that pretty common that people miss an opportunity like that, that if they would just go see someone like you, it, mm-hmm. it can it can be a part of their past, not their every day? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we have, there are so, you know, folks who have, migraine, for example, there, you know, as we were discussing earlier, there's such a huge genetic component, but there are certain things that we can adjust or do to uh, bring down the frequency of the headaches and to help them manage, just like we manage hypertension and Mm -hmm. diabetes. We're able to manage, you know, migraine, for example. Um, We do often identify very, you know, very specific things that could be triggering the headaches. And, you know, stress is a big one. We were talking about this earlier Mood in general are huge um, comorbidities with migraine, for example. Mm. Um, You know, some folks do tell us that positioning can be a problem. And so we do often work with physical therapists like yourself um, who who help with positioning, teach the appropriate exercises and, and also make a huge difference for folks. Wow. Not sure where to start. I, I just know people are sitting out there going, but what about my situation? Is there any other low-hanging fruit, things that we haven't touched on that people could yeah. try that, you know, you just, you're, when you think of your pie chart and it's this percentage of food and alcohol, this percentage of stress, this percentage of sleep, this percentage of posture, yeah. is there any other right. category that we've missed with this conversation? Yeah, so the... um I think, you know, a diary would be the most helpful thing mm. because there's not, there's not exceedingly, it's not, um, that, you know, for example, posture is the most common thing in most people that sure. produces migraine. There's nothing like that. Every single person has different triggers for their right. headaches. And so we usually have to have them keep a pretty detailed diary and identify when their headache is happening, how many days a month, what, you know, their di- what their diet looks like, mm. are they incorporating alcohol in there? You know, red wine, for example, is an extremely common trigger for migraine mm. uh, in people. It's ex- extremely common, even in folks who don't have a history of migraine, red wine can trigger one. Interesting. Um, sleep, sleep, sleep deprivation is an extremely common trigger or sleeping too much is also a trigger. So there's um, a lot to be said with having regularity in one's life, sleeping at the same time, waking up at the same time, having um, a healthy diet and exercise. You know, there's all those lifestyle modifications that we also recommend. Comes back to the basics so often. And and then everybody, (laughs) if you're hearing what she's saying here, she says, keep a diary. Now you just heard us say that actually going to give you better brain health in general. So even if you don't have headaches, keep a headache diary, everybody. Just talk about different things. Um, all right. So I, as I was watching some of your interviews online and, and preparing for this, in, in one, you mentioned something called the ponytail headache. I have never heard of that in my life. Can you explain that to us? Talk us through that one a little bit. Oh, absolutely. So ponytail headache is extremely common. Um, You know, another name for it is the technical term for it is external traction headache, commonly seen with folks who pull their hair back very tight or wear caps 
for example, dancers, ballerinas who have to tie their hair mm-hmm. really t- tight back into a bun or in, fo- in swimmers who have to wear swim caps. Mm. These are exceeding, this is an extremely common headache disorder in this population. Basically, the nerves that run through the scalp, those superficial nerves become very sensitive. And that traction, that pull when you're pulling the hair back or wearing a cap results in superficial pain that then tra- can travel to the brain and, send- and produce a generalized headache. It's a very interesting phenomenon that's very common. Very interesting. Are, are there other versions of the ponytail headache? Not not that piece. Yeah. You mentioned swim cap, but are there other things like that that maybe some of our listeners could kind of pull into their self-treatment or self-diagnosis yes. that they'd never thought of? Absolutely. I should add here, ponytail headache um, you know, is also is this phenomenon called allodynia. When you touch something, like you you shave your face and it's painful or you mm-hmm. touch your scalp and it becomes painful. It's, it's also a headache, you know, that's also a part of that ponytail headache phenomenon. So ice cream headache, for example, we get, if you eat your ice cream too fast, that can result in a really <laughs> bad headache. I thought that was brain freeze. <laughs> <laughs> um, or you're right. It is. That is the term that we all use for it. Absolutely. Or you walk out into negative degree temperature. I'm not sure if you get that in Colorado. <laughs> not not as bad as Connecticut, but we, we get our share occasionally. <laughs> so you walk out into these freezing temperatures and you get a headache. So the other technical term for that is cold stimulus headache. It's basically a headache that's produced by extremely cold temperatures that are either applied to the outside of the head or are inhaled or consumed like with ice cream. And, you know, that's just thought to happen because you're activating, you may be activating a specific nerve that can also trigger back and and cause headache. That usually goes away within 30 seconds to one minute, but it's extremely common also, just like ponytail headache. Interesting. All right. So you've seen pretty much everything when it comes to headaches. What are some of the things that surprise you most about what you're learning, what we're learning more broadly? Yeah, absolutely. I would have to say what's surprising me the most is the rapid release of treatments within the past couple of years. Hmm. The whole landscape of neurology has changed. We have like super specialists now in neurology. Not only do we have people who specialized in neurology, we have people that have now super specialized in conditions such as multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, migraine. And in each of these categories, there are many treatment options now. That's why we need those super specialists because, you know, for example, in the headache world, we've had all the, you know, for the past, however, 30, 40 years, we've always used medications that were not developed for headache Mm -hmm. to prevent headache. And within the past year and a half, we've had four new migraine specific preventive treatments released. Wow. So it's it's just neurology just has completely changed. We're able to treat patients now and able to change lives dramatically and reduce disability as a result. This, this is so fascinating. Uh, okay, so with things like ibuprofen, aspirin, those kinds of things, uh, for an athlete, the recommendation is if you don't need it, don't use it because it literally delays your 
your healing rate. You don't you don't heal as quickly mm-hmm. if you have right. some you know quad pain from a hard ride or whatever. Is is there any correlation to that with with headaches? Should should people say, well, you know, it's a it's a four out of ten, so I think I won't use it today. Okay, now it's an eight out of ten. I don't have a choice. I need it. Any guidance on ibuprofen aspirin use on a I don't want to say regular oh. basis, but for headaches. Absolutely. So the rule of thumb is we consider aspirin and ibuprofen, those families of medications, rescue medications. So those medications that we use as needed for for headache, we recommend overall limiting it to two days a week if possible. We, We recommend not using it over two or three days a week often because two reasons. Um, one is because of the side effects from it, as you correctly stated. And in the, in the headache world, we also have to worry about medication overuse headache. So using mm. uh, over-the-counter medications, ibuprofen um, and, and its cousins, for example, can result in more daily and frequent headaches. And really? Headaches. Yes, Interesting. absolutely. Right. So if you if if one is having headaches that frequently, they probably need to be discussing some type of medication to prevent headaches overall. Excellent. Glad we got into that. Okay. So few, just a couple of questions left. Future of brain health. Sure. We'll kind of peer into the crystal ball for us. You're seeing so many more things that we have no idea are even going on. We try to avoid the headlines here. So we're gonna we're gonna have you kind of peel back the curtain for us a little bit. What, what, what do you see coming down the pike? What can people be looking forward to keep their eyes yeah. open for? Oh, yeah. I think the biggest thing is treatment, treatment, treatment. I think that um, the treatments are booming in brain health right now. Um, and I think that, you know, in I'm hoping somewhere down the line, we're going to start seeing some cures for conditions. Um, I think that would be really amazing. I hope that's, you know, in my lifetime. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. We're also seeing a big boom in the imaging industry. I think Mm. that the imaging studies we have, MRI, for example, we're getting more and more advanced imaging modalities to provide more accurate diagnosis for people. So that's, that's been changing. That's been changing rapidly also. When you talk about cures, are we talking about medications? Are we talking about different surgery things they can do on an outpatient basis? What is it a combination of these things? What, what, what are we seeing? I think it's going to be both. I think it's going to be a combination of things, you know, um, and I should, I should say cure or extremely good management. Mm -hmm. You know, there are neurological conditions now that we have surgeries for that are helpful for managing conditions. You know, we have deep brain stimulation where they they place the stimulator inside the brain to manage conditions. Um, That in conjunction with medications, I think we're going to get to a point of wonderful, you know, hopefully really good management for the patients. You just sparked another question that a lot of other folks will be interested in. So there are some different companies coming out. Halo is one that I've heard of where they're talking about you, you wear this headband or this cap or whatever while you're doing your bike uh, trainer or you're running on the treadmill or something and it's supposed to elevate it's it's basically supposed to be a performance enhancer studies very limited on the effectiveness but mm-hmm. this company's got a lot of venture capital behind it what is your experience or, or have you run across those what are your thoughts on where that is currently and where you think it might be five or ten years down the road 
So I haven't seen much evidence surrounding the halo headband specifically, but we have like, I think down the line, um, we're going to come up with more portable ways to treat neurological conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, in, in my world, in the headache world, we have many devices available, one of which is a headband that can be worn to treat headache, to prevent it and use it as needed, called the cephaly device. That device, for example, has multiple clinical trials behind it that show that it may be helpful for folks. Um, I think, you know, d- down that landscape, I think we'll see more inventions. And But, you know, I think things like the Halo and, and other um, headbands that are currently available, it's important to see that there's not as much evidence behind those things, like you mentioned, and also kind of see where it's coming from. You know, was it scientifically developed? Or, right. You know, interesting (laughs) yeah that to be continued on that one Mm -hmm. all right well last question any final words of wisdom just want to kind of make it wide open anything that i haven't brought up things for people that are trying to improve their own health and wellness or or maybe they're a coach or they're you know in a parent role or or anything or or let's see let's even walk down the alzheimer's door here is if any advice on that realm that people can be helping their parents or their parents listening to this yeah. can say, you know what, I didn't think about that beyond the general health and wellness components you mentioned earlier. Right. So I have to say that this is a challenging time for everyone. Everyone is on edge right now. Mm. And there is a huge component of anxiety And we're seeing many more cases of depression right now, Mm. whether that's with, you know, people within the community, uh, essential workers, like our local grocery store workers, postal workers, healthcare providers, they're everyone, everyone right now, as, as from what I'm seeing within the community and observing within different studies that are available, everyone is on edge uh, during, during this stressful time. And so the one thing I have to say is that we are seeing uh, neurological conditions and other medical issues manifest from anxiety and depression. Hmm. I think first and foremost, when you're with family, when you're with coworkers, it's really important to ask how they're doing and gauge if there is a component of anxiety and depression. Because many medical conditions and neurological conditions can manifest as a result of that. And this is the time, I think, for our mental health professionals to really take a front stage and help people through it. Um, I was mentioning earlier, self-care is a huge thing that can help with this and consulting with the right mental health professional. It's a great reminder. Uh, yeah, I, it's exciting because the coaches are in that role where they're not counselors, but they are having those conversations with people. And it's very easy for them to say, no, seriously, right. how are you doing? So I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Right. In, anything on the Alzheimer's front? We've had some guests talk about that in the past, but anything else mm-hmm. that you're seeing that might right. provide some hope? It's such a, a massive yeah. area. The sleep is clearly a, a huge component yeah. of it. Is there anything else either that you're seeing that we may not be aware of or some hope that you see down the path a little bit? So there are drugs that are being studied for the treatment of Alzheimer's disease. There are IV treatments that are being studied, but 
currently our options are a little limited. Mm. We have medications that are used to manage the condition, um, Aricept and Nemenda, but we, you know, we don't have a robust medication that makes the dramatic difference that we're looking for, right. unfortunately. So, um, I think it's a, it's a challenging for a person with Alzheimer's and with a family member who's caring for them. Um, it's important to, you know, we were talking about this earlier, to provide frequent reminders to your loved ones with Alzheimer's, um, frequently reorient them, and also check in with them about um, what you mentioned earlier, their mood, sleep, and, and how things are generally going there, the, the biggest hope right now is that, you know, things are being studied specifically for Alzheimer's disease, and we can hope that something is going to be promising and can be offered to folks. Very good. Uh, Dr. Cordovilla, I really appreciate it. How can people follow you, keep track of what you're working on, those kinds of things? Do you, do you have a Twitter handle? Do you have a, another realm of communication you'd like to highlight for us? Sure. So I'm on actually on the Yale Medicine website. Okay. If you just type in my name there, Dina Kuruvila, I, I pop up right there and um, you know you can find me there. Perfect. Perfect. Well, again, really appreciate it. I know you have a lot going on and thanks for taking time out to chat with us. Thank you, Dr. Cooper. Take care. Is your head spinning? Wow. So fortunate to have Dr. Coravia join us in the midst of her, as you can imagine, really crazy busy schedule. Obviously, feel free to pass this along to anyone who may be struggling on the headache front or curious about opportunities to enhance brain health. She provided so many great insights. I I was just fascinated by the the idea of the handwritten notes influencing the hippocampus in this world where everything is computer keyboards. It's just so interesting. Thanks for tuning into the number one podcast for health and wellness coaching. And thank you so much to those of you who share it with others. Next week, We are excited to welcome Earl Fee. He is the 90-year-old world record holder, well, currently in the 800, but about to be the mile as well. And yes, I said 90-year-old. I can promise you, you'll be impressed by this gentleman as he shares his approach that has allowed him not only to be healthy, but actually fast as he enters his 10th decade. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you may also be interested in the YouTube coaching channel, which is literally youtube.com slash coaching channel, and you'll find a growing library to complement the podcast. Now it's our turn. Let's go get better, and let's help those around us do the same. We're grateful to be on this journey with you and hope you found it beneficial in your life. This is Dr. Bradford Cooper signing off. Make it a great rest of your week, and I'll speak with you soon in the next episode of the Catalyst Health, Wellness, and Performance Coaching Podcast.